I'll think of myself as Petunia. <laughs> that all seems pretty accurate. <laughs> Thanks, Babysitter's Club. Oh, you're all hitting me. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that hadn't fully considered all the aspects of marriage. I'm Kelly Annika. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. Sick transit Gloria Mundi. This is getting weird. This is getting weird. I mean, granted, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, if you've been listening, although we didn't do that, we didn't do this for the instant takes. No, that's so true. So I guess it was just the 12 days of Downton. Yeah, they got... That like every intro <laughs> suddenly seemed to be a referendum on our relationship. Right. Which it is not. It's everyone. not. No. We're doing great. It just is whatever we find momentarily amusing. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the welcome podcast back. podcast is momentarily amusing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, welcome. Oh my gosh. Here we are. It's the last season of Downton. It is. It is the end. It is. My friends. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So we have some thoughts we would like right. to share on this momentous occasion. <laughs> uh, but first, uh, we don't have any to share today. But as ever, if you would like to contact us, mm-hmm. first of all, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, welcome. Yeah. Welcome to the family. Mm-hmm. Uh we have been doing this for a real long time. <laughs> we have. And we got a little loopy about it at we're times. We're very loopy, but uh, we're excited that you're here. We are. And uh, if you ever would like to contact us, whether you be a new cousin or old, <laughs> uh, you can send us a telegram at upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com. You can send us a carrier pigeon, a.k.a. tweet, at 5 Maggie Smiths. That's at 5, the number 5, Maggie Smiths. Mm-hmm. Or you can just search up yours downstairs exclamation point <laughs> on Facebook. Yeah. And there we shall be. Yes. Not responding to your messages in a timely fashion. Right. If that's what you were thinking, let us let us be clear. Yeah. <laughs> we used to be more timely. Yeah. But then my job got more demanding. Yeah. So I didn't have as much time to be emailing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But we try to get back. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we read a telegram on the air. That's right. It could Crazy. be you. It could be you. Yeah. Okay, so that's the housekeeping. Um, Also, we may or may not have ads this year. Yeah. In order to make money. Right. We We don't know yet. Yeah, we hope to. We've been trying to figure this out since June. (laughs) um, And clearly have failed to figure it out. So will there be adverts (laughs) this episode? Uh, You'll just have to stay tuned. All of our adverts are going to be that uh, meerkat movies. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tom's upset by this. Yeah. Money's money, Tom, even if it comes from Meerkat. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. So the other night, yeah, we were drunk. We were. And I don't know what happened because <laughs> I was too drunk. Right. But Tom put in a random season two episode of Downton Abbey. Yes. And we were floored. Yeah. By how much better it was so good like we're not trying to be jerks yeah any jerkitude is accidental (laughs) but it's like okay so the cinematography has improved Mm -hmm. vastly it has on the show which i actually don't like i liked when it looked like a weird old you know janky british (laughs) indie movie that's what i like to go see yeah yeah um but it was a 
It was the episode where they have the benefit concert right. for the war. And Matthew comes in with Miss Lavinia Swire mm-hmm. in the St. Patrick's Day Massacre dress. Yeah. And we were like, oh, my God. We Yeah. We remembered it. And, uh, you know, the accusations of cowardice and just a bunch of interesting things And Branson happening. being awesome. Yeah. Remember when Branson didn't suck? He used to be awesome, y'all. He... No, because those women came in with mm-hmm. the white feathers and they were like giving him one. He's like, oh, I'm wearing a uniform. <laughs> and they were like, it's the wrong kind. And like, he just like, he's like cracking up. Yeah. Cause he, he, cause he was Irish. He was then. Irish. Oh, remember when Branson was Irish? <laughs> no. And we deduced because Sybil was still alive. Right. This is when she wants to learn to cook mm-hmm. so she can become a nurse. Yeah. And she was like, the secret protagonist of the show. Mm-hmm. Like insofar as this show is supposed to be about the stories of women changing over time. If you take her out of it, you lose everything. Right. Because she everybody the, else is only being reactionary. Yeah. She, she was, was the only one that was, you know, interested in she all was this. Active. And vo- yeah. Voluntary, voluntarily. And everyone else is just struggling to keep up, which is interesting. Right. Well, and which is also though, cause they brought Rose in. Mm-hmm. To kind of do that. And then they were like, oh, wait, what if <laughs> right. we've upset some grandmothers with this miscegenation <laughs> that might have happened? Ridiculous. We've heard anecdotal reports of a grandmother fainting. <laughs> so, <laughs> Granny! <laughs> it's only telly. <laughs> um, yeah, but just the writing... Anna and Bates were not insufferable. Mm-hmm. He wasn't wanted for murder yet. <laughs> right. Like, that was it awesome. was a simpler time. <laughs> well, cause it's like an, uh, I have a horrible feeling we're gonna wind up doing a rewatch uh-huh. of the whole series. <laughs> yeah. Just to make sense of our own lives. <laughs> like, it feels like the emotionally correct thing to do. <laughs> yeah. But so that happened, and then, you know, and now we're covering season six, which is not season two. It is not. And it has, you know, there's some good things in it. There's some good moments in this episode. We'll discuss them. But, you know, it was kind of a bummer seeing what this used to be. I feel like in the same way that, like, whoever Topher Grace edited together the Star Wars prequels into a single good movie. Right, right. I feel that seasons four through six of Downton Abbey can be edited into a single decent season of television. Yeah. Now, True. you have to get rid of Baxter mm-hmm. completely. Yeah, easily done. Um, uh, Molesley, he can stay in, but he can't, like, do that much stuff. <laughs> All right, yeah. Um... I think you have to like get rid of the Marigold subplot somehow. Yeah. Like you gotta yeah. fix that. Yeah, it's you do. messed it's, up. It's, it's it's unpleasant. There's a lot of really not cool stuff happening there. Yeah. Um and uh McGee I wish you'd edit it that McGee did bone bricker, but that's my <laughs> own personal fan fiction right. wish. <laughs> yeah, we can get Denker out. Um Ugh! What no why why are the dowager servants even a thing and i love sprat right like i don't want anybody to misconstrue <laughs> that statement as me being not team sprat because mm-hmm. i'm absolutely team sprat but there's just the this there were there were stakes yeah before yeah like even with this whole thing with edith it's like well you've 
changed your mind right about what you know, well, that's just, the thing. there's Every- no consequences for anybody's actions well and, and it's only a soap opera it's no longer yeah. placed in any well, kind of meaningful historical context right which has been real annoying um for us trying to do our, yeah. our segments um well it is more than just that there can't be any stakes or consequences just because everything's been undone so many times already how do and, you mean like all the twists and turns with edith's baby like who cares about anything about it at this point anyway because it's just going to be something different you know next week like some other random change will happen yeah and yeah i mean nothing feels like weighty or permanent mm-hmm. because uh, you know whatever has happened in the past it all gets wrenched back into essentially the the status quo and i'd argue that that's true of the first two and even the third season wasn't that bad uh-huh. like uh, yeah i agree they returned again to the well of lord grantham losing everybody's money right. but but there was some really good stuff as much as we hated that sybil died mm-hmm. like it was it was part of the story in a way that then dan stevens's right. death was not part yeah. of the story <laughs> yeah um but there were these reversals back then but there were ramifications mm mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, let us not forget the magical healing of Matthew. Sure, that's true. Matthew's nether regions. But it's like those elements, they were balanced against some really solid writing and Mm -hmm. some really good character work. And, you know, you felt for them being afraid of the changes in the world. And now nobody cares about anything. Right. Nobody, anybody can get the day off of work whenever they want. Oh my God. Don't even get me started. I mean, we're going to, we have to do this whole recap, but like, (laughs) good Lord. Yeah. But you know, that's been true for a while and just things like that. Just everybody's just sort of like floating around. Yeah. Okay. So let's do this. Yeah. Uh, season six. Episode one. And oh, by the way, this is, it appears that they're only doing the first episode on PBS, not the first two episodes of the, as they have done in previous seasons. It only took them six years. Yeah. So stop doing that. Like we are, we would like to thank them. Yeah. We're we're really grateful because, (laughs) well, and well, it'll happen with the Christmas episode where we have to split it into two, but Mm -hmm. like, that's a long slog. Yeah. Like to podcast. That's yeah. like four hours of us <laughs> sitting here talking about Downton Abbey. And like, right. we like doing it, but we it's do. like back to back. It's a lot to handle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we hope that you like our fashion backwards is in Tom repeats histories because it's gotten really hard. Yeah. We're really a scraping the bottom of the barrel for things that we haven't already discussed. Right. And, and who who could have predicted that this show would last for six years? <laughs> right. <laughs> we, in our defense. Um, <laughs> yeah. And again, like there's they're not talking about current events in this season, even as much as they did in series five. Yeah. Because then you had the whole thing with all the Russian refugees. Right. And we could kind of deal with that. Yeah. But it's become very myopic. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they're in London all the time. Yeah. But so it goes. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh... You know, we're we're doing our best here. <laughs> yeah. So uh You're welcome. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. So we start. Yes. Uh whole bunch of dogs. Just a whole mess of a them. A bunch of them. It's like a Sarah McLaughlin SPCA <laughs> commercial. But like the after picture. Yeah. It's like, oh, you gave money and now the dogs are happy. <laughs> a bunch of dudes are on horses. Thomas carries a tray out and Mary and Lord Grantham have a drink. 
uh, Mosley startled by the dogs, which did you not know? <laughs> did nobody be like, hey, Mosley? Yeah. Uh, hella dogs upstairs. <laughs> uh, Andy is around and a woman, a mysterious woman in a cloche approaches. Yeah. Uh, McGee says that Lord Grantham should be at a board meeting. Uh, and Edith asks what the board meeting is about. And McGee does not know. Uh, Mary assumes that the board just needs more money. She's like, oh, they're probably just asking for money again. As if that's – she's never been in that position. Uh, yeah. They're her pigs. <laughs> <laughs> they are her pigs. Um, <laughs> Lord Grantham heads off. We see Mystery Cloche watching the proceedings. Mary asks who it is and Lord Grantham doesn't know. He also wishes she would still ride side saddle because it was so much more graceful. Uh, and she points out that it was also much more dangerous. Yeah, and – it's not actually graceful. Yeah, it's weird looking. It's weird looking and I don't like it. Yeah. I don't. Uh, we're taking a very strong <laughs> anti-side saddle position yeah. at this late date. To be clear. Uh, Mary asked Lord Grantham. Oh, we could have done that. What? We could have talked about side saddle. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, maybe later. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we're just not good at this anymore. <laughs> it it was, be. for the record, cousins... We had a real hard time, like, remembering all of the moving parts of this podcast. Yeah, we kept being like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. But it's like, I mean, we've done so many different things. Yeah. I feel like it's been a lot more varied than it has been in the past. I agree. Yeah. And we eliminated some aspects for other recaps that we haven't in the past. But anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been very, it's been an exciting morning. <laughs> Yeah, Mary asked Lord Grantham if he's dodging this board meeting, and he says only a little bit, which means yes. Carson asks Mystery Cloche what her deal is, which he doesn't tell him. Right. But he's like, oh, well, if you want to watch the hunt, like, go hang out down there. And she's like, oh, great. And it's like, don't be telling people stuff, Carson. Right. Like, I mean, what is, and like, this is so out of character. That's the other thing about these later seasons mm-hmm. is people behaving in ways that are just completely out of character. Yeah. And yeah. Jim Carter, again, God bless him. Yeah. Like, he makes you believe it, but like Carson wouldn't, he would be like, who are you? Yeah. Why are you on the property? <laughs> Do I need to call that Sergeant Chappie? <laughs> Go to hell. Um, yeah. And at this point, I was thinking that maybe she was like an anti fox hunting ad- activist. That would have been so cool. Yeah. Like, cause spoiler alert, that's not what's happening. Right. But like, ah. Uh, just every time Julian Fellows comes to an interesting idea, he's like, nope. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing we were discussing is that he needed a writer's room. Yeah. I think season three and onward. I think the first two seasons, mm-hmm. I'm not opposed to the idea of a single writer, but I also think you get to this point and you need other ideas. You need yeah. fresh eyes to yeah. be like, by like murder prison again. Right. Still. Yeah. God. Dude, no. Right. Here are absolutely not. Here are many other better ideas. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, we could have a murder, but no one gets caught. <laughs> There's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> like with Pamuk that time. Yeah. Okay, so we see George and Sibby are in the kitchen watching Mrs. Patmore cook. Uh, and she says George can lick the bowl while Marigold just sits there slack jawed, not advocating for herself. So I guess like mother, like daughter. Right. Um, they are really cute though. They are really and cute. And I do like this episode for the way that it's like, oh, hey, the kids are hanging out with the servants like they would. Yeah. Yeah. That's been nice. Like Master Guy in Manor House. <laughs> Thomas, uh, asks Andy if this is his first meet, as in, I'm assuming the uh, hunt. Yeah. 
Uh, it is, and Mrs. Hughes asks Andy to check if everything's come down from upstairs. Thomas says that he's helping Andy find his way, and Mrs. Hughes kind of bitchily says he should let Andy find his own way. Yeah. And I'm like, is this because Thomas is gay? Like, like, I think, yes, but, like, nobody ever really says that. It's really bizarre. Yeah. And it's like, maybe it's just because of his old blackmailing ways, but I think it's, I think it's the, you know. Yeah, nobody actually, people care more that Thomas is gay than that he is a bad person. Right. Which I guess has historically yeah, been no, true. That, that makes perfect sense. But it's, well, you know, this plot line continues, so I will continue to explain. Um, George about it. asks for a piggyback ride from Thomas. Thomas and George. Yeah. Getting along. Like yeah. gangbusters. It's great. So George, clearly very enlightened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and also unaware of Thomas's blackmailing past. And like, he's just gonna, when you're off at Oxford, <laughs> he's gonna be like, hey, Master George, remember when I gave you that piggyback ride? <laughs> Time to pay the piper. <laughs> Uh, Mrs. Hughes asks if everything's going smoothly and Mrs. Patmore says yes, although it's hard without a kitchen maid. Oh yeah, cause Ivy used to be around. Yeah. And she left. She did. And she went to America. Yeah, it's a shame. She was, uh, a But person. that was at the end of season four. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they, well, yeah. But they never replaced her. Right, right. Um, oh man, I miss Mac L. I know. Anyway. And Mac H. I know. I miss them both. <laughs> we all do. Um, anyway, so she asks Mrs. Hughes if she has a wedding date. Mrs. Hughes is like, slow your roll. No. Get off my back. <laughs> right. Uh, so then we get a few shots of horses riding along, accompanied by the triumphant music of the aristocracy. Hey, comrades. Yeah. Um, so then Padmore's upstairs and notices that Hughes is up there. She's mending a cuff. Padmore asks what's wrong. Mending a cuff sounds like slang for something <laughs> awful. Hi, <laughs> mending a cuff. <laughs> Oh, you want to mend me cuff? Yikes. I don't You're know right. what that even means. Like, no, I don't no. even want to think about it. No, let's not. <laughs> I had a horrible idea about what it could be. <laughs> so let's move on. Okay. <laughs> uh, Hughes tries to act like nothing's wrong, but Patmore's like, bitch, please. No, like, come on. They're yeah. like best friends, yeah. whether they want to be or not. And right. they know every single one of each other's tells. So Hughes says that Patmore will say that she's being stupid, but she hadn't fully considered all the aspects of marriage, which Patmore takes a second and is like, oh. Oh, you mean doing it. Yeah. Uh, Patmore says that they say there's nothing so terrible this about it. This reminds me of when my childhood best friend got engaged and like, I mean, her family was very conservative Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. So they basically chose her husband for her mm-hmm. and then they got engaged and like she called and told me and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. And then we like went out to lunch and like she asked me to be her bridesmaid. I don't know why I'm giving you all this background. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is a person that I cared about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we went out to lunch and like neither of us had had sex mm-hmm. at that point. We were, you know, in our early twenties mm-hmm. and she was just like so terrified about it. And yeah. I was like, and I was totally Mrs. Patmore. I was like, they say it's cool. Yeah. Uh, everybody keeps doing doing it yeah so presumably there's something to it i mean i'd like to do you know anybody probably not you're a southern baptist right it's not you're not allowed to know anybody although you'd think you know yeah the guy they'd be like well boys if you have to do something go find a weird catholic girl (laughs) keep it outside the church (laughs) they can confess or whatever Hugh says that uh, she wasn't bad looking as a girl. I know, because remember that farmer wanted to marry her? That's right. Remember <laughs> Julian Fellows? 
This ain't Hughes's first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Nor her first meet. <laughs> um, but yeah, she says she's not sure that she can let Carson see her. Patmore suggests keeping the lights off. I love Mrs. Patmore in this. Like, yeah, she's the secret MVP of this episode absolutely. because she has to deal with the most awkward shit the whole episode and basically gets no reward out of it. Uh, yeah. Like she's not going to get bones. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, she is awesome. Uh, and says that Carson must feel the same about his body. He's also, you know, old. Yeah. He, he looks like Dr. Zoidberg without his shell. Yeah. <laughs> he says that in that case, maybe Carson would prefer to live as brother and sister. Uh, Which always is a bad, I just, ugh, yeah. bro, like, Gross. Somehow not having sex is worse than having sex. No, I know. Uh, Patmore asks if that's what Hughes wants, and she says she doesn't know. She just knows that she doesn't want to feel embarrassed and absurd. And Phyllis Logan's read on that line yeah. is because Mrs. Hughes is so unflappable. Yeah. Like, she yeah. generally has her wits about her, and this is one of the only times we've seen her be truly vulnerable. Yeah. Because yeah. even when she's, you know, retconning herself and saying she's got this right, random right. sister who is not mentioned in this episode. Uh, yeah. Presumably she's still sending money to said sister. One would imagine. Um, but like just, we've never seen her this nakedly like yeah. upset about something. Yeah. Yeah. So she, and she also says that she doesn't feel like she can have this conversation with Carson and looks at Patmore and Patmore's like, Oh my God. Oh, ah, fine. <laughs> On the stairs, Mrs. Patmore passes Anna, who is starting a cold. But wasn't she actually crying? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure we're all clear on what happened. Yeah. Anna, not sick. Not sick. Crying. Yeah. Uh, Dogs. Horses. (laughs) Runnings. Mystery cloche. Standing on a bridge. For Mary, some reason. Mary glances at Mystery Cloche and then falls off of her horse. And I'm like, hasn't Mary been riding a horse? <laughs> right. Literally. Like, and didn't like, she we... say that she stopped riding side saddle because it was <laughs> and more what, dangerous? Like, Mystery, is, like, is Mystery Cloche a wizard? Like, what is the <laughs> idea here? <laughs> You're a wizard, Mystery Cloche. <laughs> <laughs> like, she was just standing on a bridge where, according to Carson, people sometimes stand. I thought she might have been a ghost, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, up until her next scene, I was like, "This is a ghost yeah. that only Mary and Carson can see." <laughs> anyway, she's fine. A guy named Mister Faircloth. Cloth, I Cloth? believe they say. Mister Faircloth. Okay, he's named, and I don't think we ever see this guy again. Um, Mary gets back on her horse and then watches Mystery Cloche sitting there looking smug. And I'm like, yeah. hey, ghost, <laughs> do something or get off that bridge. Right. Did you knock Mary off her horse somehow? With your mind? With, yeah. With Is your, this the Twilight Abbey all of a sudden? Your magical cloche. <laughs> it's a mystery cloche, mm-hmm. not a magical cloche. <laughs> the magic is in her heart. <laughs> so, you never needed that cloche. <laughs> So inside the house, Edith is wrapping up a very tense phone call, which she's saying, you know, there's no need to shout. You know, she's trying to talk this person down mm-hmm. and uh, explains to McGee that her editor, Mr. Skinner, has a problem working for a woman. Uh, and McGee supposes she's right not to just sell the magazine. And I'm like, 
how is that a solution to any, like, oh, well, you could just sell the magazine and not have any conflict. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's true. She could just, like, she could literally just, like, take naps around Downton all day for the rest of her life if she wanted. Yeah. She's rich. I mean, he set her up, like, nicely. Yeah. God, I just hate that he's dead. I know. Like... It is so stupid that Michael Gregson is dead. He would have been really interesting. He would have been a really interesting character. Yeah. Like, and, and she still could have been an editor. Yeah. Like, she was already, like, working. Mm-hmm. Anyway. There is, like, no point to this, but I feel like we're going to... It's the last season. We've got to get it out of our system. <laughs> it's <just> like, why? <laughs> um. Anyway, McGee stops giving Edith ridiculous kind of backhanded <laughs> advice and asks Andy to tell Mrs. Hughes to organize tea. Yeah. Because Thanks Andy, for, yeah, Andy was there. Thanks. <laughs> Is that the subtitle of this episode? <laughs> Andy was there. Pretty much. Yeah. He's around. Yeah. That seems to be his character. The guy who is also in the room at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was an official position <laughs> in, uh, in Edwardian and, uh, post world war one household. Yeah. But you know, since the war, hardly anybody has a guy who's also in the room at times. <laughs> hey we're having fun we are yes this is great yeah (laughs) so the uh the mysterious board meeting from earlier is taking place uh and we come in in the middle with isabel asking the dowager when she learned about this a thing that they haven't heard of and apparently the situation is that the royal yorkshire county hospital wants to take over their local hospital (laughs) R-Y-C-H They got x-ray machines You can get a pap smear (laughs) And then afterwards have a beer (laughs) Sorry Yeah, no, that that all seems pretty accurate (laughs) I wonder if they had pap smears back then They were invented in the 20s Oh, great Yeah Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. You're welcome. You're a font of knowledge. (laughs) Well, as we'll see. So, yeah, the Dowager finds this outrageous. But McGee and Murdy both disagree because they think that the village will benefit from having access to more modern equipment and treatments. Uh, The Dowager says that doesn't matter because they would lose all control and York would uh, run everything. And Dr. Clarkson agrees. He's on her side on this one. Isabel again asks how the Dowager Countess found out about this attempted takeover, and she says that they wrote to her, which annoys Isabel because she's the hospital almoner and nobody wrote to her. That is the most ridiculous job title I've ever heard. It is. Well, she wanted to be called Meddler, but... (laughs) They're like, it's a bit crisp. (laughs) Uh, I meant to say on the nose, but then I was doing an impression of... uh, david mitchell right from that mitchell and webb look and here we are that yeah, brings us to that, the present day that, and then you were explaining that um <laughs> we're renaming this to the explain cast <laughs> which probably already is a podcast yeah that, that would make sense anyway the dowager has a friend on the board at york so you know she found out through back channels networking's important isabel yeah. like you can be mad all you want but you know bitches are gonna find shit out right so Isabel's like, well, I still disagree. And the Dowager's like, okay, may the best man win. Um, 
So this is now a fight that's happening. Yeah, but the best thing is right after that because yeah. Murdy leans over to Isabel and he says, I'm glad we're on the right side of this. <laughs> and she just totally shuts him down. She's like, well, I wouldn't make too much of it. Yeah. And it is masterful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I'm so glad that the Dowager and Isabel are back mm-hmm. doing Mean Girls 1925 style. It's yeah. 1925, by the way. Yes. I don't know that we mentioned that, but during the hunt, we were informed. Right. Uh, which brings us to the first of our recurring segments. Tom repeats history with our medical minx in residence. Tom. <laughs> Hi. Take it away, Tom. Thanks. Repeat that history. I will. So I was looking up what was going on in the 1920s with medicine. What are these new treatments that might be available? Uh, and I honestly, it doesn't seem like that much in the way of things that the new hospital would give them access to. I mean, granted, that's fine in the case of the show because even, you know, more minor things that are not like medical milestones, but if it's just a little bit of an advance, you know, that's but, still going to help. I would say also there's probably a case to be made that they, are slow to update Mm. i mean think about so you've spent the last 15 years of your life writing medical software right and there are still doctors who refuse to use anything but paper yeah and i can totally see and particularly if the dowager's the head of the hospital board Mm -hmm. they're not as up to date as they could be yeah you know yeah like they they are using you know an old like mac 2 and (laughs) everybody else has a macbook air (laughs) that was a metaphor right i understand um while we're explaining things (laughs) (laughs) yes uh and so it's it's kind of it's kind of an interesting period in medicine because it's after the point where people actually knew what the heck they were talking like that wasn't just magic you know they really were being scientific and learning science (laughs) Uh, But it was for really the revolution of antibiotics, uh, which were actually discovered in 1928, penicillin was, um, except that uh, Alexander Fleming, who discovered it, when he did, decided that it couldn't last long enough in the human body to be effective, so he just kind of ignored it, and it wasn't until the late 30s that people actually really started using it. Oh. Um, I really didn't know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, They did have uh, sulfa drugs at this time, which was the sort of the first ever antibiotic, so there was some level of that. Uh, I think one of the biggest things... Uh, or sort of most impactful discoveries of the decade was insulin, uh, finding a treatment for diabetes, which had been fatal up till then. So did they just not know what insulin was in the body? Um, yeah, ap- apparently what it, the, the discovery process, yeah, insulin? it is the pancreas. Okay. And so it was basically somebody did just. Thanks, Babysitter's Club. Yeah. <laughs> basically somebody who was just like, he was he it was called like pancreatic extract okay. like they eventually like refined it and was like okay this is insulin but they were just like it's something we're getting out of the pancreas uh-huh. and it's fixing diabetes so yeah um and that was a lot of what was going on was learning sort of the the basics of of you know chemicals things like insulin uh vitamins like their existence you and mean vitamins well sure uh, and most of them were discovered in the 20s. Um, the, a Nobel Prize went to that one. Uh, and also a lot of focus on infectious disease after the Spanish flu. Um, which yeah, that was a bummer of a flu. It was a bummer of a flu. And so they got people really interested in it. And like I say, it was a while before they came up with antibiotics, but there was a lot of work on sanitation and just general you hygiene. Know, hygiene, yeah. Aqueducts and stuff. Right. Perhaps. Um, 
I was I was looking through the Nobel prizes that were awarded for medicine in the 20s um which isn't super useful because usually the Nobel prize is awarded for something that actually was oh, took happened a while back mm-hmm. um and they also just didn't give a prize in 1921 or 1925 they're just like eh, nobody wins this year <laughs> um you know what you did yeah. medical community <laughs> uh they also gave this seems like a terrible one in 1927. They gave it to uh, somebody, Wagner Jareg, I forgot to write down his first name, for uh, malariotherapy. This was a treatment in uh, people who were having hallucinations due to tertiary syphilis uh, that he would give them a low gre- like low level of malaria and that fever would clear up their hallucinations for a while and then you could cure the malaria with quinine, hopefully. Uh, this didn't necessarily extend their lifespan. Uh, it also killed 15% of the people that it was tried on. And he, he was just not a good person in general. He was German. Well. Yeah. So we can see where this is going. There's your first mistake. Uh, who did late in life, uh, become a full, uh, Nazi supporter, despite that, the no, fact. No, he was a Nazi before Nazis. Like, yeah. that is the most Nazi treatment of a disease I've ever heard. Yeah. They're like, yeah. <laughs> We will give you some malaria. Yeah, you got syphilis, try some malaria. (laughs) Maybe now you won't complain about that syphilis so much. (laughs) It's like when you have a headache and you pinch that pressure point between your (laughs) thumb and your forefinger. Yeah. Except with malaria. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. No, he became a Nazi but was not allowed to join the Nazi party because his first wife was Jewish. Well. Yeah. Guess he didn't think ahead. Yeah. Among his other uh, treatments that he was well known for in the medical side of things was uh, because he was a psychiatric doctor, but that covered a lot of weird things. So, for example, uh, schizophrenics, meaning people who masturbated too much, he he would sterilize them. What? Yeah. So that seemed to uh, cure the problem. How do you define too much? (laughs) I don't know. Like, what's the medical? (laughs) What's the medical assessment of master because i've I mean, known i've known some people like, <laughs> i don't think but i mean we were all you know teenagers once right i think you weren't supposed to at all uh that seems ridiculous it does although it sounds like exactly the kind of backwater bourgeois <laughs> that the medical industry big pharma yeah they don't want you to masturbate they want you to have malaria <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh and the other major discoveries that uh got prizes were uh discovering blood groups and blood types oh wow uh, a lot of research yeah. into that uh and discovering a cure for pernicious anemia uh meaning you know iron and in, in liver specifically mm-hmm. uh but that won a nobel prize and there are also a lot of advances advances in surgery which nobel prizes like the medicine ones they only go to like more theoretical work so sort of practical advances like right. in surgery and things like that wouldn't get a nobel prize but it's but also so crazy like a harvey harvey cushing like really like was the pioneer of brain surgery in the 20s it's really crazy to me how much of this is so recent like mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it has to do with when we were born. Well, right. Like, you know, we there had just been a generation that always grew up with antibiotics and soap. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we were like, yeah, man, like Nintendo. And (laughs) It's true. No, but I mean, I I do wonder. I'm like, wow, like, who knows what we'll discover eventually. Yeah, yeah. We'll live forever. (laughs) Forever. Forever. (laughs) 
All right. Well, thank you, Tom. You're welcome. That was very informative. Yeah. And now I have to go take my vitamins. <laughs> back at Downton, uh, Lord Grantham and Mary are riding back and nodding, you know, uh, graciously, graciously at yeah. the peasants <laughs> they own. <laughs> And uh, they get off their horses at the house. Lord Grantham says he's completely whacked. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't until we watched the Great British Baking Show that I realized how the word whack in Britain is very different than the word whack in America. Yeah. Because whack in America, I'm saying W-H-A-C-K right. is like a smack. Yeah. But, you know, for them, it's like throwing. Yeah. Like, like, oh, I'm going to whack this in the oven. And I'm like, are you? Yeah. Like, don't. Your souffle is going to (laughs) fall. If you whack it. Never whack a souffle. Mary sees mystery cloche uh, out front. Yeah. Brazen as you please. uh, Whose name is Rita Bevan. And we're not going to call her that. No. Because we don't respect her or her ghost methods. (laughs) Uh, Rita Bevan knows Mary. And Mary is like, okay, uh, I disdainfully acknowledge a lot of people. You're going to have to be more specific. So Mystery Cloche asks if Mary has forgotten her weekend at Gillies. Uh, and she was a chambermaid at the hotel. Yeah, the Liverpool... Royal Liverpool, Grand Liverpool, I don't know. I don't know. I just assume they went and saw the Beatles. Um, <laughs> Mary says that Mystery Cloche doesn't have proof, but Mystery Cloche has a page from the register, which, like, again, why did y'all go under your regular names? Yeah. Like, you had not a very good cover story to begin with. So, right. honestly, the fact that it's taken this long for anybody to blackmail you is crazy. <laughs> Um, so Mystery Cloche wants a thousand pounds. Uh, a lot of money back then. Yeah. I want a thousand pounds. Yeah. Actually, a lot of money today. Yeah. <laughs> More than, but right. still nothing to sneeze at today <laughs> yes. for blackmailing purposes. Mm-hmm. Mary says that that's ridiculous and Mystery Cloche says she'll be back. And Mary points out that Mystery Cloche is not the first person to try and blackmail her. It's like, what, you just got a trapper keeper full of people trying to blackmail you? Binders full of them. Um, now, I, if I were Mary at this point, I would call up Gilly. Yeah. You don't even have to show what's his name that plays him. You know? Right, right. She's just like, oh, you know, Gilly, this chambermaid is blackmailing me. Can't you and uh, Mabel Lane Fox have her killed? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Mabel Lane Fox would make short work of this blackmailer. Oh, yeah. Because Mabel Lane Fox would be like, yeah, hi. I know you think you're trying to ruin her life, Mm -hmm. but really you're actually ruining my life. Yeah. My life. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I've just shot you in the knee, and if you do anything further, I will shoot you again. In the head. That's right. Anyway. That was a warning shot. Goodbye forever. What we're saying is that Mabel Lane Fox probably has, like, a badass lady mafia that she runs. Yeah, absolutely. Down in the servants' hall, Bates wants to know what Anne is thinking, but she does not care to share. Uh, Thomas is worn out from carrying Marigold around. Uh, Mosley says that Marigold is lucky after being born a farmer's daughter and now having come up in the world into this great house. Was she? Uh, according, as far as Mosley knows. That's true. He's, so, you know, she, she's like a pig niece or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> My grandmother was a pig. (laughs) Her mother was a pig. (laughs) Now I'm the heir to a publishing fortune. I don't know why why she's like an old sea hand. She's just... 
hooves, the ices. <laughs> Pour me another cup of grog. <laughs> I learned this from the pigs. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> anyway anna thinks that marigold doesn't have any better chance at happiness than the rest of them which i think is not true because she's rich now yeah um (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like how everybody downstairs except for daisy and probably has like forgotten about class politics (laughs) yeah yeah it's like you know just because they're nice to you doesn't make you rich yeah but doesn't it um yeah so then um mary's bell rings nana goes to her in the library, <laughs> Lord Grantham says that Carson won't approve of whatever he's drinking. Yeah, he's pouring himself a drink. But it's quite ordinary in London. I don't know what that means. Right. Like, that it's not an age... Like, it's like two-buck chuck. <laughs> right. I, I don't understand what or, you're drinking. Well, I was like, I guess it's like a cocktail, but I thought we'd been through that already. Yeah, and it's like, they make their own cocktails. Yeah. It's like, respectful of Carson's weird Luddite ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, like they ended cocktail hour, but honestly, they seem to just drink whenever the hell they feel like. They it now, sure do, which I approve of. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just in the olden times before the war, <laughs> right? Uh, so Lord Grantham says that he and Carson need to discuss future staffing requirements. Nothing drastic. Yeah. Or Carson says that somebody said that to someone. <laughs> Lord, Lord Grantham, Grantham yeah. says that both the housemaids have quit. One to get married, and Madge has found a job in a shop. Good work, Madge. Yeah, way to go. I wish we'd gotten to see you. Yeah. She's there. Like, she is a person. Right. In the cast, mm-hmm. there was an article about her in yeah. her hometown newspaper. <laughs> we'd, Free uh, Madge! We'd love to meet her in her shop now. Uh, anyway, Lord Grantham, as a bit of a uh, non sequitur, <laughs> yeah. says, who has an underbutler these days? I would ask whoever had an underbutler. <laughs> that is a job y'all made up. <laughs> Um, I'm sure that's not true. No, I know. Julian Fellows is like, well, if you go back to, uh, you know, these books <laughs> of the peerage, you clearly see. <laughs> or the, uh, what's his name? The guy that's on set and has that. Oh God, the Oracle. The Oracle. Yes. Is it? No. Andrew Davies is eyeliner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Duh. No, I don't remember. I, I just got remember. eyeliner on the brain. I just remember his title. Uh, anyway. I'm sure that underbutlers are real. Yeah. <laughs> Much like Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. Uh, so they acknowledge that neither of them can hold back time, unfortunately. And as if on cue, yeah. the underbutler, Thomas, announces that the Dowager Countess is there to visit. Yeah. And I found it ambiguous. Like, did he hear that? Because maybe he did. Maybe he did. Uh, so Mary's filled in Anna on the whole blackmail situation and says that if she pays Mystery Cloche, then she will only come back for more. So Mary's like, I forgot it was Sir Richard Carlyle that was blackmailing her. Oh, uh, yeah. I was thinking about the Pamuk thing, but that wasn't right. blackmail. That, no, was, that just was just Edith being a beast. Yeah. <laughs> so Mary won't do anything until she has to, and she's like, I don't know why the papers would even be interested. And Anna's like, you know, Earl's daughter with married, you know, rich dude. or we, I forget how she's phrased uh, the headline, but... Mary, you were going to marry a newspaper publisher. <laughs> Your sister runs a magazine. For somebody who's been this close to the publishing industry, yeah. you have, I dare say, remained willfully ignorant <laughs> of the public's purient is- interest. Yeah. Anna gets it. Her husband's been in the paper. 
Like, yeah. For God's sake. Right. Everyone in this house has been in the goddamn paper. Yeah. And you can't see why this would be interesting to anybody. Yeah. Other fun fact about Anna. She's on bail right now. <laughs> I forgot that was happening. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. Oh, man. Why? Yeah. Oh, man. Why are they? Why? Yeah. No. Why couldn't it just not be brought up again? Nobody <laughs> would miss it. No. We, we yeah. would never have even noticed. Yeah. We really wouldn't have. I mean, we would have, you know, eventually. But it would have taken us a while. It would have. Like, hey, remember when Bates, like, said he killed no, whenever season- Mr. Green, and then it was like he came back, and, like, now he's fine? Yeah, because whenever every season starts, I'm like, I don't remember what happened last season at all. <laughs> so I was just like, well, clearly if it's important, they will tell they each other. They all still live in that house. Right. That's the main thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Bates is on tenter hooks apparently, so that's weird. Um... Like a sex thing? <laughs> <laughs> Mary says that Anna seems down in the mouth. Also not a sex thing. Um, and Anna changes the subject to Mary's hair. Always a safe bet. Yeah. In the kitchen, Daisy says that Mrs. Patmore is very quiet. Carson comes in and says that they're ready. And Mrs. Patmore says fine and asks for a word when he's done for the night. And she won't say why, but yeah. she's looking very... <laughs> Indeed. Boot room. Boot room. <laughs> Bates says that Molesley didn't mean to be unkind about Marigold uh, when he was talking about her, even though it seemed to upset Anna. Uh, and he talks about that many children in homes need each other. And then Anna starts crying. Uh, apparently, she thought she was pregnant, but has miscarried. Bates says that she should have told him, but she says that she didn't want to get his hopes up. And this is the third time this has happened, and she can't have a baby. Bates says that there's no proof of that, but even so, they will be fine. Um, but she says she's let him down, and he says that she could never let Remember him down. Remember when they were real people? I do. We do, because we just watched it. Yeah. Like, and Anna had spirit and spunk. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Let us not dwell on the boot room. Right. <laughs> At dinner, Lord Grantham asks after Branson, who's apparently doing fine yeah. in America, in Boston, if you c- recall correctly. Right. Which you may not, but that's where he is. Sibby's at school. Uh, I always forget she is older than the other two. Right. Like, by yeah. a pretty wide margin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lord Grantham says that Sibby will be speaking with an American accent, and McGee asks if that would be so wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, as long as she doesn't start talking like you. <laughs> right. What if she had some sort of horrible mixed accent? But it wasn't clear if it's because she's weird or because she's lived in London for a long time. <laughs> The Dowager Countess says that Branson will be a fish out of water. Isabel disagrees. Pretty yeah. much for the sake of disagreeing. Also, if he's well, in Boston, there's yeah. plenty of water there for the Irish. That's what it's she's... It's called whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was pretty much her point. Saying that an Irishman is out of place in Boston is misunderstanding Boston. And Irish people. Yeah. <laughs> the Dowager Countess asks about finding a replacement uh, as the agent, and Mary announces that she will be the new agent. Mm-hmm. The Dowager Countess is startled. <laughs> Isabel is very supportive, of course. Yeah. Uh, the Dowager Countess asks about all of the heavy lifting. <laughs> <laughs> and Mary supposes that she can lift as much as old Mr. Jarvis. Which I'm not certain. Like, She's never had... She just fell off of a horse. <laughs> right. For no reason. Right. It's not like... Like, we know that her thighs can kill a Turk. <laughs> right. Yet they can't stay on a horse? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> That's the only heavy lifting we've ever seen her do is ha- carrying half of Mr. Pamuk. Uh, a third of Mr. Pamuk. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. 
McGee says that brains count more than muscles. I just love her. I know. She's she's great. Also, the clothes are crushing in yeah. this episode. Yeah, we have not been pointing except it out. For, except for Mary. Yeah. Which we'll deal with later. But like in general, yeah. the Dowager Countess's jaunty hat. At the board meeting. It is so yeah. stylish. Mm-hmm. It is so small. Versus because she was still wearing portrait hats mm-hmm. in the first season. Yeah, yeah. And she has, she's getting with that the was, times. That was, a, that was a hat that was ready for business. Yeah. Yeah. Lord Grantham's all for women's rights and all that <laughs> since when. Right. He's uh, not. But he doesn't think she should take a job that wears her out. <laughs> right. Be- you don't think anybody should have a job. Right. You're the land of nobility. <laughs> the Dowager Countess says they only know what we're capable of when we test our limits, which is weird since she Yeah, she just seems saying, to have switched sides. Yeah. But. Isabel makes a crack about what the Dowager Countess is capable of and announces they're going to have a fight about the hospital. And I like this whole plot line. This very, like, it's almost like self-aware where they're just like, by the way, everybody, we're going to have this fight. We're just announcing it in this earlier scene. Like, it's so, like, non-organic. The mm-hmm. way it's just like, no, we've well, decided. And that first scene at the hospital board meeting uh-huh. was that scene that they leaked. Yeah. And it's like, why are we even talking about Because... <laughs> It is fundamentally stupid. Yeah. It is a fundamentally <laughs> stupid argument because the Dowager and Dr. Clarkson are so clearly incorrect. Yeah. The answer is clearly, oh, do we want people to die less? Oh, yeah. Right. Like, And it's like, what control do you even have over the hospital? Yeah. Like, what are you? What kind what, of power are you actually wielding yeah, there? Yeah, what control? What does that consist of and why? Anyway, yeah. Oh, we'll have plenty of time to discuss this. <laughs> this is not the end of the hospital. <laughs> McGee starts to comment about it, uh, about the hospital, but the Dowager insists that this is a fight between her and Isabel only, and it'll be a tug of war with Carson as the rope. Sorry, it must of Clarkson. be Clarkson. Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah. when did Carson get involved? <laughs> I know he was on that, you know, memorial board, oh, right. but, but this, this is... seems a bit out of his purview. <laughs> it does, yeah. In the Carson Cave. The Carson Cave! Yes. Patmore comes in, uh, declines a drink. Bad move, Amber. Well, because she's like, she's been speaking to Hughes about their upcoming marriage and the terms on which they intend to live, and uh, now she'll take a drink. She <laughs> is like, okay. You know what, actually, now that I thought about it. Yeah. Drink. Uh, and she's, you know, says it'll be tough, you know, like you've lived alone and now you're going to be sharing your lives together. Uh, but Carson says that he thinks he's not too old to change. Uh, I do. Right. And then Patmore asks if he expects to share his way of life. That's what I'm going to start calling my vagina. From now on. <laughs> like, doctor, how's my way of life? <laughs> be like, what? <laughs> and Carson, Carson. I'll be like, don't you watch Down Abbey? <laughs> He's like, uh, doesn't everyone? And Patmore's like, uh, yeah, I, uh, you're right. I, I'm drinking this port and I'm out of here. Bye! Yeah. She bolts it, too. <laughs> yeah, she does. I want to see her in a drinking contest. <laughs> and Carson is like, what was that about? Like, if you just wanted some port, you could just come in and be like, hey, make with a port. Yeah. Lord Grantham asks if the Dowager Countess is plotting something. Uh, they're walking from the dining room to the drawing room. <laughs> yes. Uh... She asks if something's on his mind, and he says he's starting to ask how much longer they can go on with the household staff. Well, I'd say probably nine more episodes, at least. <laughs> Approximately. 
he says that the wage bill is three times bigger than before the war to which I would reply, well, let's talk about inflation and see what the actual value is that you're getting. Anyway, I, I'm afraid I don't understand. Uh, are you asking me to invest in a rare <laughs> because I'm keen to do it. The Dowager Countess says the palace won't change. I don't see how that is relevant in this argument, but uh, Lord Grantham says, you know, good luck. They're the palace. Oh, right. But most people are cutting down. And the Dowager Countess asks how many he sees going. Lord Grantham doesn't know, but some. So, again, thanks so much for this. Right. This was vital. It was. This was information that I could not have gone on without <laughs> knowing. And it is just like, don't these servants, like, do things that won't get done if they're not there? It's like, a huge house. Yeah. I know. Like, what? You're going to make Mary do it? Right. You won't even let her be the estate agent. Because all the staff cutting that they've done over the course of these six seasons, uh, there's just as many people in every shot downstairs mm-hmm. as there always were. Agreed. So it's like, what? Yeah. Anyway. Well, I don't know. I guess maybe there's we fewer people. We drowned the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe the kitchen used to be more crowded now that I well, think about it. Well, it did a little bit. Yeah. Anyway. Well, on our rewatch, we're going to count in every group <laughs> shot downstairs. We're going to chart the data uh, for no reason. Right. And not release our data. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we've learned a thing from Silicon Valley. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the valley, not the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> the place where we live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the drawing room, Lord Grantham says that uh, the Dowager was on form. Which, Isn't she always? Yeah, that's Shut her. up, dude. Come on. <laughs> You're just trying to make conversation because nobody likes you. Aida <laughs> uh, says that she must go. Oh, and this is where Mary is wearing, by the way. The uh, worst outfit. Yeah. Like, well, she didn't dry her hair before mm-hmm. dinner because she was busy falling off horses and getting blackmailed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so Anner has, like slapped on a headband that Edith can pull off the middle of the forehead headband, uh-huh. but on Mary, it just looks stupid. It does. It looks stupid. And, and it so they've done a little like spit curl on either side of her face. She looks like, she looks like if somebody had like drawn a picture of her and been like, Betty Boop, they would have been like, no, <laughs> we're not doing this. What yeah. a stupid idea. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's not a good look. Uh, Edith says that she's going to have to go to London to get her editor on track, and also uh, her tenant is moving out. Mary says, out of Michael Gregson's flat, and Edith says, out of my flat. He's been dead for two years now. Yeah. Like, get a clue, Mary. Here, here. He ain't coming back. <laughs> <laughs> he ain't pretty no more. Not after those awful thugs in brown shirts got through with him. <laughs> Who preached the most horrible things. <laughs> Like I say, I'm English, and I want you to shut up. <laughs> oh, you're all hitting me. <laughs> Gritty reboot. Reboot idea. The last days of Michael Gregson. The last temptation of Gregson. <laughs> him in Germany and like a saucy biologist. Just onto him. Sure. He's defending her honor, and then he gets killed by Nazis. Yeah. Be pretty great. I'll, uh, I'll get that spec script typed up for you. <laughs> Thanks, baby. You're welcome. In all my copious free time. <laughs> Edith is undecided as to whether she should let the flat out again or to just keep it for herself. Uh, so she goes up. Mary speculates about what Edith will get up to. She uh, goes to London all the time. Yeah. Like, wh- are you simple? Where have you been? <laughs> right. She Maybe that fall hit her harder than we realized. <laughs> 
I can't remember my name. <laughs> I suppose Anna will know. <laughs> but I can't ask. <laughs> I'll think of myself as Petunia <laughs> and then see what everybody else says. <laughs> yeah, Lord Grantham says that Edith is entitled to get up to some things at her age. She's not that old. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess she's old to be single, and that's what he's well, saying. Well, but we've but... been saying that for years. Right. She's no older than she ever was in that <laughs> regard. Yeah. Uh, and he asks, what's the matter with Mary? And she won't say because she can't admit that it's that she doesn't remember her name. <laughs> <laughs> Danker. <sighs> one sentence. I can get through this. Danker asks... The dowager how dinner was at the big house. The dowager countess hints about the downsizing of the staff and says not to tell anyone. Uh, Danger claims to be a veritable tomb. Yeah. Which would also be a good name for my vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It would also be a good place for Danger. Oh, my God. Danger gonna dank. Yeah. And, like, come on, dowager. You you know she's a shitbird. Yeah. Like, at no point, like, literally the only reason you have not got rid of this woman is because you are too old to train another (laughs) fucking maid. Yeah. You're like, this is it. I'm I'm done. Ride or die with (laughs) Dicker. You send me that specs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Mystery Cloche walks to the Abbey. Uh, in, the ki- in the kitchen, Hughes asks Patmore how things went. Patmore sends Daisy off on a made-up errand and then says, uh, not very well. It was a difficult topic to arrive at. Then Mystery Cloche That's comes... That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Mystery Cloche comes in and says that she has a message for Mary from the Dowager. And Hughes says, fine, I'll give it to her. But Mystery Cloche says that, no, she's been instructed to put it directly into Mary's hand. And Hughes is like, all Once right, again, weirdo. How has nobody at this house been like, hey, who the F are you? <laughs> right. You, we don't like your cloche around here. <laughs> In Mary's room, Mrs. Hughes explains this ridiculous story. And Mystery Cloche comes in and Mary dismisses Mrs. Hughes and tells her to send Anna up. Mm-hmm. And Mary says, how dare you to Mystery Cloche. Uh, and Mystery Cloche asks why she didn't tell Mrs. Hughes to send her away. Mystery Cloche is smug and eats one of Mary's biscuits yeah, like off she's, of her tray. Yeah, she yeah. eats it and then, like, disdainfully flings it at the tray. And I'm like, you are awfully cocky right. for somebody with such a terrible plan. Yeah, she's super cocky in this scene. And once again, it's like, oh, my God, can we have some middle-class person that is not just awful? I don't follow <laughs> I'm Baron Julian Fellows, damn it. They're all so classless and grubby. (laughs) (sighs) Mystery Cloche tells Mary that her lot's finished. Mary says the working class is maybe coming up, but she doubts Mystery Cloche is, which is true. Yeah. Like, if you're doing well, you're not resorting to blackmail. (laughs) Nobody's like, man, you know, like, my debt's all paid off, uh... Got a nice, nice apartment. Man, I just, ah, uh, just gonna, I'm bored though. Yeah. I'm bored. I'm gonna do some blackmailing. <laughs> I'm gonna get out there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look up this alphabetical list of hobbies. <laughs> Choose one at random. Blackmail. All right, well. <laughs> I guess Mary, I'll go down to the library, get blackmailing for dummies and go from there. I 
hope that book is real. <laughs> <laughs> she won't pay because Mystery Cloche would just come back for more, which, yes. Yeah. Uh, Mystery Cloche offers to give her word that she won't come back, and Mary scoffs at this. Yeah. Anna comes in, and Mary explains. Uh, Mystery Cloche says that Mary has one last chance, and Mary tells Anna to see her out, which she does. Yeah. So, great. Yeah. I enjoyed seeing Anna angrily, yeah. you know, escorting her. Never seen Anna as a bouncer before. It's nice. Mm-hmm. If you come with me, please. <laughs> Mystery cloche. <laughs> In the kitchen, Daisy says that Molesley has been on her about uh, having her, her exams that she's still doing, if we recall. Patmore says that she doesn't understand it. She still cheers herself up on dark days by reminding herself that she never has to take an exam again. <laughs> she's just like you, Poindexter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, Daisy says she must take them or else what's it all for? Uh, what is I it all for know. in either case? What is she going to do with the exams once she takes them? That's what I'm all for education. Yeah, absolutely. I am not for pointless testing as a victim of the Iowa tests <laughs> and also the SATs and the ACTs. Right. I mean, granted, did I do well on standardized tests? <laughs> yes. Am I currently rich? No. <laughs> QED. Yeah. Not that standardized. <laughs> He's standardized. <laughs> He's got prospects. Uh, Anna walks by with Mystery Cloche, and Patmore supposes that Mystery Cloche must not be long for the Dower House, based on her reception there. Uh, Anna agrees, says that she's not very congenial. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. In Dr. Clarkson's office, he supposes Isabel is surprised he's siding with the Dowager Countess. <laughs> this is what amounts to like a supervillain's <laughs> manifesto from Julian Fellows. I suppose you're wondering why I'm making a very out-of-character decision. <laughs> Isabel thinks that he's wrong, but Clarkson says that once the officials take over, they'll have no regards for their needs and asks if she cares. Okay, Here's the thing, Dr. Clarkson. You're right. The officials won't have any regard for their need, for the village's needs, yeah. which is why you will be the advocate for the village. Yeah. Because I don't see that you're doing that much in the first place. Right. That's but the real... But it's like, he just, is, he just doesn't want to do more work. Yeah. Or he doesn't want different work. Yeah. Isabel says she cares about survival rates, which I think is a very compelling argument. Right. Clarkson supposes she doesn't intend to be offensive. How only in England can a lady being like, I want people to not die, be like a vulgar argument against I don't want anybody bossing me around. Right. Um, Isabel says that they both know the facts. And Dr. Clarkson asks if Murty has persuaded her, uh-huh. which is stupid. It is stupid. Because it's the only logical conclusion a sane person could draw. Right. It's stupid for a variety of reasons. One, it's clear why she's thinking this way. Two, like she's, you know, meddled on her own for years. Yeah. She can certainly do this. And three, if anything, she would persuade Murdy not the other way around because she's not into Murdy right now. Also, she's smarter than Murdy. Yeah. Like, Murdy's just a hobbyist. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Isabel, which is in luck with the Dowager Countess, and is like, I can't deal with this subplot anymore. <laughs> Andy tells Anna that Sarge is there with Bates. Uh, apparently, some woman has confessed to the crime, but that's still not the end of it. Ugh. <sighs> Because Viner thinks that it may be a false confession and nobody can corroborate the meeting between the well, confessor and, you know and the victim. In 
Viner's defense, mm-hmm. there have been a lot of false confessions <laughs> in this case. That's true. Like, didn't Bates and Anna both falsely confess? I think so, or something. <laughs> like, God, when will it end? When will it stop? Yeah. When will our long international nightmare end? <laughs> Bates asks why Sarge bothered to come then, and Sarge said he felt it was their right to know. And apparently the confessor uh, just randomly happened to see uh, Green? Yeah, Mr. Green. Mr. Green in Piccadilly on the same day when Anna was also right there. And so, like, what a shocking coincidence. Boy, this would be a great third season of Serial. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'd be good. They should cover a fictional crime on Serial <laughs> next time. I mean, aren't they already doing that? <laughs> Spoiler alert. I hate Serial. Yeah. We've never listened to it, but... We hate it. Yeah. Well, I don't like Ira Glass. You like Ira Glass. That's true. But I don't like anything Ira Glass stands for. <laughs> you or your children or your children's children. <laughs> God is my witness, Ira. <laughs> but I've provided so many hours of entertainment (laughs) he's like the william shatner of public radio (laughs) yeah uh anyway sarge heads out bates is annoyed that sarge came without having proof like you know without anything being really settled uh and that he meant well but that's not enough yeah somebody should tattoo that on the inside of julian fellows's (laughs) eyelids (laughs) lord grantham has a letter from rose new york seems to suit her yeah, which I would have found that more plausible back in season three. Yeah, before she became, like, a conservative's wet dream. <laughs> right. Uh, she definitely seems more like the, I don't know, Knoxville, Tennessee type at this yeah. point. <laughs> Carson says that Mr. Mason is there. Uh, apparently, the Darnleys. Darnley? Yep. That's the best you could come up with? Yeah. Oh, Don, I can't think of a name. <gasps> That's it! <laughs> So the Darleys are selling Mallerton. Mm-hmm. Also a stupid <laughs> right. name. What if it were like Downton, but more malleable? <laughs> <gasps> there will be an auction at the house on the 10th, and Lord Grantham asks what he can do. He's hoping, uh, Mr. Mason is hoping that Lord Grantham will put in a word so that he can keep his farm, or at least get some info on what's up with his tenancy. Yeah. Lord Grantham says he doesn't mind. He'll make a call, because apparently there's no barriers of class anymore. <laughs> and they're the nicest people in the world. Always have been. Uh, Mick G asks what he'll say, and says that he would have made a good courtier. And Lord Grantham says, too much standing. Yeah. Which is cute. It is cute. They, uh, again... They're very cute. Uh, you know, Even among, though uh, I miss Mr. Bricker. Hashtag right. McBrick. <laughs> yeah. Brick G. Brick That's G. what it was. Yeah. I was like, what was there? <laughs> I have, No, I've, I've reached peak, like, portmanteau saturation levels. Where <laughs> I, like, make up portmanteaus and can never remember them. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're full up. I need to archive some of them. <laughs> yeah. R.I.P. Tomcat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Those crazy kids. Yeah. Like, literally crazy. (laughs) Carson Carson greets Mrs. Hughes, uh, who suggests that he might call her Elsie, uh, but Carson's like, not at work. I would also say no. (laughs) Elsie is not a good name for a human. It's not. Uh, I don't know why people kept naming people girl babies and cows Elsie. (laughs) I don't like the, you know... The correlation there. I don't either, but she's stuck with it now. 
Anyway, Carson wishes that they could settle the date for their wedding, but Hughes is just like, oh, there's no rush, and she walks off. I mean, they're pretty old. You yeah. think that they would <laughs> the, be No, there is a little bit a little of bit. a time crunch here. Uh, Carson tells Mason that L- Lord Grantham is making the call, and Daisy says that they can't just kick him out of his farm. Uh, Mason says, you know, they can. He's got notice, and he will get some compensation for it, but in the end, he's just a tenant. Daisy says that that's not how she sees it. Thomas correctly points out that that doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you just wrote Danker Danks in. Yeah. I can't deal with it. Yeah. Danker Danks in. That's... <laughs> Like Dunstan Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> but she does, like, and, like, sits on Carson's chair and everything like that. Patmore asks if she's there to stir up trouble in a tone of voice, meaning she knows damn well that that is exactly what Denker is there to do. Uh, and so Denker announces about that there's going to be downsizing. Andy, who is also there, assumes... <laughs> <laughs> That he'll be downsized because he's the newest hire, but Denker says it's a matter of who's useful and who's ornamental, implying Thomas, who says that he would rather talk to the organ grinder than the, the monkey. monkey. Denker dinkishly says that she hopes she hasn't cast a shadow. And then Patmore scoffs and asks about the new maid, aka Mystery Cloche. Uh, then the library bell rings, so Carson sends Mr. Mason up and sends Andy off to get milk for some reason. Because he's just there. Yeah. Oh, go get milk or something. (laughs) Thomas asks if Carson knew anything about these proposed layoffs, and Carson says it's not a subject for the here and now, which means yes. Lord Grantham says that Sir John is sorry, but they couldn't sell the estate without vacant possession. Right. Meaning, uh, bye (laughs) y'all. Yeah. Lord Grantham says he won't necessarily have to go, but it's up to the new owners. And Mason thanks him. Lord Grantham says it'll pass any additional news through Daisy, because once again, all barriers of class yeah. broken down. Yeah. We are living in the utopian future. Remember when he didn't know Daisy's name? Uh, yeah, that was very recent. It was. It was, it not was long last ago. season. Yeah. <laughs> McGee is sorry for Mr. Mason at his time of life being booted out. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, you would do the same if you were selling up your estate. That is true. She asks after John and he says that there won't be much left after the debts are paid and their son is heading to Kenya. No. Lord Grantham said that they will go to the auction because he might like a memento of these randos that we've never heard of before. (laughs) Oh, but they were always, oh, he remembers them well. He's always known the Darnleys. Edith and Mary come in and greet their children, and the Dowager Countess is getting ready for a fight, uh, says McGee. Right. And Lord Grantham tells McGee that no one has ever stopped the Dowager Countess, and McGee says, yet. Yeah. Uh, also, Isabel has stopped her on multiple occasions. Yeah. Remember when she was fixing to die that time? Mm-hmm. And Isabel came in and said, guess what? Eat this broth, bitch. <laughs> yeah. No, I do remember that. You know, I mean, and Lord Grantham just, you know has his image of the Dowager set from years ago, back yeah. when she really did rule everything. Also when he was in short pants. <laughs> yes. Sprat and Denker chat, and Denker, you know, hints about the layoffs because she's so subtle. Sprat asks if she's suggesting, in your usual maladroit fashion, <laughs> that their jobs are in dan- danger, and Denker says that the Dowager will always need a maid. The dowager comes in and says that she's ready for dinner, and Spratt says that she could have rung the cook herself and then gets all flustered. Well, because this is like a weird coincidence where she should have rung the bell, and mm. he would have been like, hey, yeah, what's up? And she'd have <laughs> right. been like, I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, poor Spratt. Yeah. 
Anna asks Mary about mystery cloche. Uh, Mary is not sure what to do and asks what Anna would do. <laughs> Anna says not to be blackmailed, which, um, has she also been? Yeah. Vera Bates blackmailed them. Yeah. 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 She That's was right. blackmailed by proxy. Right. So incorrect, Anna. <laughs> Mary agrees, but either way, her life's up the spout. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that that's necessary. Like, it's going to be awkward for a week, but yeah. like, who cares? Yeah. It was before he got married. Right. You're a widow. You can do whatever you want. That's the point of being a widow. It's the roaring 20s. <laughs> Anna said it was all Anna could do not to slap Mystery Cloche and adds that they'll get through their problems, which yeah. you have no reason to believe that. I know. But you we- have had <laughs> nothing but problems since the beginning. Yeah, that's true, too. But we know it's true because, you know... There's no stakes this season. In the kitchen, Carson asks for a word with Pat Moore and suggests that he's pretty sure they never really got to the reason for a visit the other night and asks if she was a messenger from Hughes. Pat Moore admits it and they sit down. Carson asks if Hughes has changed her mind about the wedding. Pat Moore says no, but... And she's like, it's hard to talk about such things, so she has to look away. And so she like doesn't look at him during this part it's of it. It's great. Yeah. She Leslie says, Nickel, man, she's amazing. Yeah, she really is. And is, this scene is great. She says that Hughes is a proud woman that would never want to appear ridiculous in his eyes. And she wonders if he would expect her to perform her wifely duties. And Carson has a moment of like, like cooking and cleaning. Of the, but Why then you finally. Why is there not a band called The Wifely Duties? <laughs> <laughs> but he finally figures out what is being referred to. Uh, Carson asks then if Hughes is offering simply, uh, you know, warm friendship. And Pat Moore says mainly she just needs to know what it is that Carson expects. Anna and Bates are walking home and Bates asks if she wonders when they'll finally get told that this whole Mr. Green business is over. Yeah, we all wonder that, Bates. (laughs) Bates says they could revive their dreams and I don't believe that they can. I think their dreams, rigor mortis is set in. Yeah, burnt. Yeah. Anna says his dream of a house full of children and then promises she's done with self-pity, which does not sound like what she just said at all. <laughs> You're right. Bates says he'll be happy as long as they leave them alone. Right. Meaning the, the authorities. I guess so, yeah. Vera Bates's vengeful ghost. <laughs> Anna says not as happy as he could have been, which again, I thought we were done with self-pity. Yeah, but we were- I think of you as a unit now. So if you're pitying <laughs> him, you're pitying yourself. That's a good point. In the Carson cave, Carson says that that was an awkward mission that Pat Moore just completed, and Pat Moore agrees and apologizes for embarrassing him, but Carson says that embarrassment doesn't come into play for something so important. Jim Carter crushes this. Yeah. It is so good. Yeah, absolutely. So Padmore asks what she should say to Hughes, and Carson says to say that in his eyes, Hughes is beautiful, and he wants a real true marriage with everything that involves, and he hopes that he's not indelicate in asking Patmore to relay that. And Patmore's like, oh, don't worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been through it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not it. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Carson says that he loves Hughes and is bursting with pride that she would marry him, and he wants them to live as closely as two people can in the time that remains to them. Patmore is misty, as are we, and says that he couldn't have said that any clearer. Carson adds that if she feels that she must withdraw, so be it, but he couldn't live some pat-a-cake friendship lie. 
Padmore didn't think that he would and wishes him the best of luck. And Carson thanks her and that says that that's worth a great deal. Okay, so I still hate that they're getting married. Yeah. Uh, I have not expressed this opinion mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. But I still think it's a stupid idea. Yeah. Uh, and I don't like it. Right. But yeah. Jim Carter and Phyllis Logan are such good actors yeah. that this scene, this exchange right here, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to offer it up. Yeah. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. Mm-hmm. This is what's happening. Yeah. And I'm not even going to bitch about it now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is perhaps why I didn't bitch about it until now. Oh, <laughs> I thought we were done with self-pity. <laughs> Maybe you are. <laughs> Self-pity is my bread and butter. <laughs> the Dowager Countess is writing a letter and Spratt asks if she'll be kind enough to give him sufficient warning. And the Dowager Countess says he's had a bad dream, <laughs> which is an odd thing to say. Yeah. Spratt says it's important to him and the Dowager Countess couldn't understand him less if he was speaking Urdu. <laughs> Spratt explains that he heard about the layoffs and the Dowager Countess says she's heard people live without butlers and to leave it to her, which does not seem uh, reassuring. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it doesn't. Anyway, uh, Daisy asks if she can go to the auction with Mr. Mason, who's going. He's nostalgic about the old, uh, you know, the old Darnleys. And... <laughs> Patmore says that it'll be upsetting, but Daisy wants to support him and to see the new owners who are going to be at the auction. Uh, she's asked a Mr. Stark if she can ride in the front of one of the cars. Patmore says that Carson won't like that, but Daisy says even he can't always have it his own way. Uh, so is Mr. Stark the new chauffeur? I guess so. Also, in matters of running the household, he can always get it. He's, he's in charge. That's the point. He gets to okay. make those decisions. Anyway. At the front door, Molesley tells Mystery Cloche that Mary is in Thursk, uh, where you go to think. Oh, right. <laughs> Feeling thirsty. Thursk is for lovers. <laughs> <laughs> Who are being blackmailed. <laughs> Mystery Cloche just barges in and says she'll wait, despite Molesley's sputtering. <laughs> Carson then steps in and suggests that Mystery Cloche make an appointment. Lord Grantham wanders <laughs> And Carson says it's nothing to concern him, but Mystery Cloche disagrees and heads into the library. Yeah. Brass balls on this one. Yeah, that is true. However terrible she is in general, she is brazen. Edith shows Rosamond her flat, and, uh, you know, Rosamond finds exotic and expects to find the Bloomsbury set curled up in the corner. Uh, Edith says that Mr. Gregson knew the Bloomsbury set and that she had met Virginia Woolf and Lytton Strachey in that very room. Which would have been cool to see. Show not tell, Julian Fellows. Right. I'll tell you what, Mr. Selfridge would have shown that scene. Yeah, it absolutely would have. Anyway. Um. And then... Violette would have said, (laughs) I should die if I could meet Virginia Woolf. (laughs) That is correct. And Rose Selfridge would have said, every woman should have a Virginia Woolf moment. <laughs> Mr. Selfridge would be like, I'm the one that cheats in this relationship, <laughs> damn it. Palm Court Podcast. Coming <laughs> With none of those characters <laughs> Right. <anymore. laughs> yeah. Um, we did see during, uh, uh-huh, during the, the Downton Christmas special, the upcoming previews, yeah. and Mr. Selfridge looked rough. Yeah. Yeah. But Lady May is back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... We're very, yeah, we're very happy about that. Anyway, uh, back in London. Um, Edith, by the way, her outfit in this scene. 
Oh my god! And actually, the scene where the kids came in, she was wearing this really adorable teal cloche, mm-hmm. and this one is like it's like a seafoam green. It's like they finally figured out her coloring. Mm-hmm. They'd been dressing her in warm colors, yeah, for like the first four seasons or five even uh-huh. but like now they're dressing her in like cool like greens and blues mm-hmm. and she just looks stunning yeah very profesh she's yeah. got like a cute vest on yeah no she's she kills it in london she wears more vests than han solo <laughs> a rosamond regrets not really knowing gregson but edith says that uh she's resigned herself to that she got one little bit of happiness with gregson and it looks like that's all she's gonna get so it'll have to do Rosamond reminds her of Marigold. Who? <laughs> yeah. Edith asks Rosamond's advice about what to do with the flat, and Rosamond asks if she wants a London life, and she says that she's enjoyed it, but she also didn't have children, which might have made a country life more, you know, appealing. Well, and kids. at the time, that was just the conventional wisdom was like, right. oh, well, and actually, you know, cities had been historically disgusting <laughs> yeah. up until this point, so... You know, you had to keep them away from all the coal dust and, you know, the gobblers and such. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You want to avoid those. Um, Edith says that people aren't so curious in London about mysterious children that you, you know. (laughs) That you have have stolen twice. (laughs) Right. Uh, And plus there's all the museums, galleries, the theater. And Rosamond says that people talk of all those things, but they only ever go when friends come to stay. Which is true. It's so true. If you live in a big city, you're like, oh, we don't do stuff. <laughs> yeah. We mostly just sit around and eat. <laughs> we hear about things oh, that yeah. are going on. We certainly get invited to a lot of things. We consider going to all kinds of cool stuff. <laughs> uh, anyway, they need to catch their train. But what is Edith's future? Uh, Edith doesn't know because it's the future. That's, that's what makes it the future, not the past. <laughs> you don't know what it is. And that Profound. Bring- oh, yeah. Yeah. Which brings us to our next recurring segment. Fashion backwards with our very own literary layabout, Kelly. Hello, I'm Kelly Anakin, <laughs> and this is Fashion Backwards. Uh, okay, so we're going to talk about the Bloomsbury set today, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like I always get confused with another group of people, like the Bright Young Things, maybe? Or the Algonquin Roundtable? No, no, because I know that they're American. Right. I think I knew earlier today who I always get them confused with, okay. but that is not the topic of this segment. <laughs> that would have been a fun segment. <laughs> Boy, howdy. Okay, so it was this intellectual group in England that started before World War I. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wikipedia says World War I changed it, but then in no way explains how. <laughs> this is legitimately one of the worst Wikipedia articles I've ever read. Like, it's real bad. Yeah. Did I do any other research? No, I did not. But I actually... If you're out there and you actually know something about this and have done real research, maybe get on Wikipedia and, like, freshen that up. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, it's all these intellectuals, and they trace their lineage to the Clapham group, which was essentially like the transcendentalists of England, but... 30 years prior okay. to the Transcendentalists. It's like the 1790s to the 1830s okay. that the Clapham group was mm-hmm. uh, around. And they were very influential in like abolition of slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, they were just a very progressive liberal group. And mm-hmm. so to me, reading this, the Bloomsbury set thought a lot of themselves. <laughs> and they didn't, in my opinion, have any actual influence on the events of the day. Okay. Um, We'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so 
they did not though like they didn't like say like the bloomsbury set they didn't come up with their own nickname okay. which is the nicest thing that i can really say about them. <laughs> um even though like there's people in it who i like mm-hmm. and respect their work um the most famous ones are virginia wolf john maynard Keynes, and ian e. forrester and Lytton strachey mm-hmm. Lytton? i think it's Lytton. Litton. She well, just she said it in this scene, and I was like, "Ooh, I can remember the pronunciation because I never know." And good then job. I, well, you know. bad job. But neutral, I'm, neutral job. I would say I'm more confident than usual. Okay. that I'm correct on this. So they all kind of knew each other. Um, a bunch of the people in the group went to King's College. A bunch of the others went to Trinity at Oxford, and then then were a couple people from Cambridge. Mm. But you know, it was that whole Oxbridge thing. Sure. And basically, they all got together because um, Vanessa Bell, who is Virginia Woolf's sister, mm-hmm. they were Vanessa and Virginia Stevens before they okay. respectively mm-hmm. were married to their husbands. Mm-hmm. Um, Vanessa started having, in 1905, this thing called the Friday Club. And then uh, Toby Steven. Toby? God, what is up with these names? <laughs> the number one thing you need to know is their names are jacked up. <laughs> um, he ran Thursday evenings. So, like, basically, they would all just get together every Thursday and Friday. And they, you know, were all writers and intellectuals. Mm-hmm. Keynes was an economist. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, they just, like, supported each other. They yeah. were they were very uh, involved in promoting one another's work. Mm. Um so then Toby died in 1906. So a year after they kind of all started hanging mm-hmm. out, that actually like solidified the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the 20s and 30s kind of changed after the war. Yeah. Um, so the thing that cracks me up is that they like their whole thing. They were like, well, we're like rejecting the conventions of the bourgeois. And I'm like, you are the most bourgeois motherfuckers I've ever heard of. So they were all really into, um, you know, like free thought and they seem to have been into polyamory to Mm. an extent. I mean, they Mm. were all having affairs with each other. Right. Right. Um, they don't have a good diagram for that (laughs) in Wikipedia. So again, that would be good. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they also were involved in the post-impressionistic art world, and they did actually shape a lot of opinions there. Okay. So in terms of the actual work that they did, they were influential in terms of defining the aesthetics mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of this period of time. However, versus the Clapham group, who were an actual political mm-hmm. yeah. organization, yeah. like the best thing that they managed to do was basically E.M. Forrester published something in the run up to world war one that was like, um, it's better to not be a Patriot. Like he's like, be a good friend. Don't be a Patriot. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them were conscientious objectors to the war. Yeah. I know. I know I'd read about Lyndon Strachey, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, great. That was real effective. <laughs> you bunch of bougie assholes. <laughs> No, and it's just like, you know, they were, they were so, you know, oh, well, you know, we only hang out with the Bloomsbury set when we don't care what we look like. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of thing. <laughs> but I mean, they were also, they were very progressive about things like homosexuality, obviously, mm-hmm. Virginia Woolf and E.M. Forster. Right. Uh, were. Yes. Um, so they're called the Bloomsbury set because they met in their homes, which were in Bloomsbury, the neighborhood Bloomsbury okay. in central London. That's where the name mm. derives from. But they also would go to country estates, you know, to loll about and <laughs> do their artsy fartsy crap. Yeah. Um, and 
Okay, here's my favorite line. Okay. Much about Bloomsbury appears to be controversial, including its membership and name. Indeed, some would maintain that the three words, the Bloomsbury Group, have been used so much as to have become almost unusable. (laughs) I don't know who said that. Let me check this citation. Somebody named Lee. (laughs) (laughs) That's the full citation. (laughs) Somebody named Lee. At any rate. um, A while back. It was a bit like... For all, they were like, oh, we're not really a group. Like, they were a bit precious uh-huh. about who was allowed to come to yeah, these things. Yeah, yeah. You know, and on Wednesdays, they wore pink. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so through the they call them the Cambridge Apostles, which was sort of like a skull and bones type okay. thing sure. at Cambridge. Um, so they were into analytic philosophy with G.E. Moore and Bertrand Russell. So they were... They again. They thought a lot of themselves <laughs> yeah. in that they're like, "Oh, do you read Bertrand Russell? Oh, hey." So they were big hipsters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were like Victorian era hipsters, but they they did reject the whole Victorian thing. Mm. Um, one of them. Hang on, let me see if I can find it. One of them wrote an entire takedown of Victorian standards. Okay, I want to say it might have been Strachey. Um. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he wrote something called The Victorians, so... Yes, that is what I refer to. Okay, yeah, so, so that was him. Um, and anyway, but I mean, the kind of remarkable thing about them is that in general, kind of with the exception of Forster, none of them achieved early success in life. They were all kind of late bloomers. Mm. <laughs> um, they were late bloomers, and... The reason that I think they were a little bit weird about letting other people in is that when they did start, you know, obviously you get the hangers on when you become successful. Right, so, right. Um, yeah, that's the Bloomsbury set who Edith apparently hung out with once. Yeah, cool. What is like, how are you not like, how are you not dining out on that shit no. all the time? No. Like, how come you're not name dropping that at dinner all the time? Because Julian Fellows only just thought of it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fashion backwards. Thank you. Mary arrives at Downton, and Carson says that a young woman has been asking for her. Uh, Mary says that she's there, that the young woman is trouble, but only because Mary has been foolish. And she says that someday she will do something that even Carson will condemn her for. Uh, Carson doubts that. and I miss their relationship yeah. because they are still going through the motions as if they're incredibly important to each other. Mm-hmm. But we haven't seen them you know, really confide in each other in a really long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, I just missed that. Mm-hmm. Carson adds that the woman is still in the library with Lord Grantham. So Mary heads in rather alarmed and sees Lord Grantham writing a check. He's, she says that she hopes he isn't giving Mr. Cloche money on Mary's account. Lord Grantham hands Mr. Cloche the check, reminds her not to talk. Uh, and Mr. Cloche says that Mary is the lucky one as always, which... Uh, yeah, that's how classism works. <laughs> right. That's the whole idea behind the system. Well, and there is absolutely no explanation for her vitriol toward Mary. Yeah, like, agreed. There's no origin story. She's just pissed. Yeah. She just appears with a cloche. <laughs> you know, casts a spell that knocks First, her off a horse. There was nothing. <laughs> then there was a cloche. <laughs> yeah, so she then leaves the library. Sadly, not by just, like, disappearing until all that's left is the cloche, like the Cheshire Cat. Mary asks what Mr. Cloche told Lord Grantham, and he says, enough. And he says that he finds that he's most disappointed in Gilly. Well, he did have a boner for Gilly. That's true. He's just disappointed that he didn't get to go to Liverpool (laughs) with Gilly. (laughs) 
Mary says not to be disappointed in him. And Lord Grantham asks why she didn't marry Gilly. And Mary says that he just wasn't right. Uh, and she, you know, she did think of her family, but she needed to be sure. And Lord Grantham sighs and says, well, he supposes she was a widow. Which is what I've been saying. It's true. Mary says, well, it's still not how your parents would have behaved. And Lord Grantham says he's not so sure what with what they write about the Edwardians these By days. By they, does he mean Julian Fellows <laughs> in Series 5 of Downton Abbey? Uh, the whole Prince Caragan thing? <laughs> Possibly. Uh, but I also, Lord Grantham's parents weren't Edwardian. Although, okay, here's what I will say. I would say the Dowager Countess could have been both. Because yeah. she says we were the Edwardians. Although that would have happened, it. I don't know. Yeah. That would have happened, the children were still children. I mean. When she almost left Lord, the. Right, right. You know, Lord Grantham Sr. Yeah. And that's, Victoria died in 1901. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, yeah. But that's, that's all really. That's just us being crabby. It is just us being crabby. Yes. Anyway, Lord Grantham asks what Mary was planning to do. Mary says not be blackmailed. Uh, <laughs> meaning not pay. Lord Grantham says that that would have been tough on Gilly and Mabel, which does not seem to have occurred to Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Mary says that she will return Lord Grantham's thousand pounds, but Lord Grantham says he gave her 50 pounds and has her signed confession to backmail. Uh, he told her it was that or he would report her to the police immediately. Mary is impressed that Lord Grantham is transformed into Machiavelli. Yeah, also, that's pretty easy, Mary. Yeah. Like, why couldn't you do that? Yeah. Why can't you do anything? Maybe you shouldn't be the agent. <laughs> can't even deal with a simple blackmailer. <laughs> that's basic land agent stuff. <laughs> yeah, have you heard about land? <laughs> like one of those pigs tries and blackmail, you'll be in trouble. Anyway, Mary says she'll still repay him the 50 pounds, but Lord Grantham says that it was money well spent to learn that Mary is a child no more and tough enough to run the estate or even the kingdom. Huh? What? No, you just had to bail her out. How did you get that out of this situation? Uh, he has a rich and interesting inner life. <laughs> like, I guess he's saying that if she's tough enough to, like, get some extramarital boning in, <laughs> that that... Lead, qualifies her to lead the estate nay the very nation itself well, then let's get ethel back in here <laughs> but whatever um he also says that he's more interested than ever to find out who comes up to mary's standards and she says maybe no one when she comes in and asks who that was lord grantham says it was somebody after money the usual thing and he gave her some it was for a very good cause i'm rolling my eyes like so hard <laughs> like just tell her god yeah. she doesn't care right McGee asks if Edith is called, uh, and yes, she's coming back from London, uh, and McGee wonders if she wants to go to the auction. Mary says that they all should go, the fall of the House of Usher, and McGee says that they may be next. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> Even though their finances are fine. Julian Fellows just <laughs> forgot to delete all that. <laughs> this is actually an episode from season five <laughs> that just, like, didn't fit. Yeah. In the kitchen, Mrs. Hughes tells Daisy to hurry upstairs and, uh, like, poor Daisy. Like, they're just like, bye. And yeah. she's like, I, okay. Like, you can just be like, we need to talk about private shit. Also, Mrs. Hughes has her own room. Yeah. Like, go in there. Yeah. Agreed. 
Mrs. Hughes says she's been thinking about what Carson said and apologizes for putting Mrs. Patmore through it. She asks if Mrs. Patmore thinks she should accept his terms, and Mrs. Patmore says it's up to her, but she was moved by what Carson said. Mrs. Hughes says he wasn't vulgar, and Mrs. Patmore jokes that he couldn't be vulgar if they put him on a seaside postcard. (laughs) And she would like to think that a man could speak of her the way that Carson spoke of Mrs. Hughes. So it's like, what? Yeah, it's pretty solid. Uh, Lord Grantham hurries the family along to get out the door. Edith says, so long to Mallerton, uh, because she doesn't think she's going to be spending in so much time in Yorkshire in uh, the future. Also, they're selling it, so... <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the house will still be there, I guess, yeah. like, you know, they'll still be on the, you know, required social register or whatever. Lord Grantham says that's a funny thing to think, but Edith says that she must move forward, and McGee says that that sounds positive. Uh, you know, Thanks. Thomas tries to ask Carson about the downsizing, but Carson brushes him off. Baxter says that Carson doesn't sound bothered, but Thomas says that the worse it is, the less Carson would want to sound bothered by it, which is a solid assessment. And anyway, they all want to be rid of Thomas. Baxter tries to deny it, but Thomas points out the way that they all are desperately keeping Andy away from him. Baxter thinks that it's just in his head, but Thomas disagrees. And I agree with Thomas. Yeah. And also, why is he the only person that's concerned about losing his job? Right. That's an excellent Everybody question. Everybody else is just like, eh, you know, we're yeah, fine. It'll be fine. It'll just be Thomas. Yeah. We're pretty important. Like, even Andy. <laughs> like, he's just the guy who's sometimes in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Isabel drops in on the dowager who hasn't gone to the auction. Uh, she doesn't like auctions, especially in houses that she used to know. Mm-hmm. Now you'll just uh, mention that <laughs> I used to know. The Mallerton song. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just a Mallerton I used to know. Anyway. Yeah. Isabel says that they differ on the importance of things, uh, which is a clear dig at the dowager for this hospital business but the mm-hmm. dowager asks if it ever gets cold on the moral high ground yeah boom yeah that oh was... solid yeah that one really landed mm-hmm. a lot of her like pronouncements in this one are all about like you know jury rigging this fake fight but this one was like <laughs> bam no because it's like i don't even care what they're disagreeing about isabel is insufferable yeah <laughs> uh isabel says she doesn't want them to fall out over the hospital and the dowager countess says that depends on who wins and rings for tea <laughs> i wonder if the dowager's a scorpio that's like a very like scorpio attitude <laughs> yeah. to have where it's like oh well we'll see because <laughs> if i lose i'm gonna never talk to you again right um she says she remembers mallerton in the 1860s uh, Lady Mallerton was addicted to curtsying <laughs> and Sprat and Danker come in. The Dowager says that she shall miss Danker. Danker's like, what? <laughs> Danker, Danker doesn't like this. <laughs> the Dowager says to forget she said that and nothing is settled. And Danker asks what she's talking about. The Dowager says she thought she told Sprat about the downsizing. And Danker says the Dowager couldn't manage without a maid, but the Dowager points out that Isabel does, and Isabel, look, this is what I love about their relationship, because, like, they're, like, arguing about this hospital thing, but Isabel's like, oh, yes, I manage very well without a maid. Yeah. If they knew what high-fiving was, they would do it. Um, Dusty Baker had invented it. Danger points out that Isabel also doesn't have a butler, but the dowager says, oh, I couldn't break with tradition that much. <laughs> Spratt tells Danger he has a copy of The Lady Upstairs and mm-hmm. she wants to start looking for a new job. Why does he have a copy of The Lady? 
Excellent questions. I had the same thought. Like, I'm all about gender fluidity. I would have (laughs) definitely been trying to get in the Bloomsbury set (laughs) at the time. Right. If I was there, I'd be like, I love gay people. And they'd be like, you didn't go to Oxford, though. Yeah, we, we, that's really not perhaps, that doesn't make you sound as appealing as perhaps you might have thought. The Dowager Countess tells Isabel that sometimes it's good to rule by fear. And sure, as long as Danker is unhappy, we're fine with (laughs) whatever you want to do. Hear, hear. Uh, Happy music of the aristocracy (laughs) as the cars pull up to presumably Mallerton, which is pretty nice. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, uh, Uh, it's a mansion, Tom. Yeah. That's the point of them. Yeah. But it's like, it's a full size mansion. Sometimes you see a mansion on the show and it's like, oh, that's like a mini mansion, Mm -hmm. but this is like with wings and the whole deal. Um, Edith says, sick transit Gloria Mundi, and Mary asks if she'll be as philosophical when it's their turn. We're all dying! <laughs> uh, so people mill around looking at the items. They're even selling a portrait of John's grandmother. Like, what? She's dead. <laughs> she doesn't care. I'm super dead. <laughs> uh, John is there, and McGee offers her condolences. John says that it's not what they want. Uh, they're keeping a couple portraits for their London house, but there's no point in storing the rest as their life isn't coming back. Edith says she admires them for not just hanging on, but John says that they did just hang on, and now there's nothing left, and advises them to learn from him. Learn from <laughs> me! He's like the Jacob Marley of this. <laughs> These are the portraits I forged in life! <laughs> oh man no and it's like okay we don't ever get a solid reckoning like there's never a sense that they actually had any friends Mm -hmm. so you can never really even when like shrimpy and susan were getting their divorce and you know they were talking about so and so getting divorced like again this who cares right like the stakes aren't high enough yeah like nobody cares enough about getting divorced or not getting divorced yeah for it to matter and nobody cares enough about these houses breaking up yeah like there's a there's even this attempt with mr mason as we will see here in a moment mm-hmm. but it's just like it doesn't yeah resonate yeah possibly because daisy ruins everything <laughs> Daisy asks if Mr. Mason wanted to buy anything, and he says he's mainly there to poke around. (laughs) He sees a gift that he contributed half a crown to buying and a trophy that his dad helped win for the estate. Mason points out who the new owners are. Uh, And, yeah, I watched the next couple minutes, like, like between my fingers. Like, this is just so unpleasant and awful. (sighs) So Daisy pulls away from Mr. Mason and pushes past Edith to confront the new owners. Uh, well, but honestly, can you blame her? Because apparently there's no more class, yeah. is there? According to everything we've seen so far. Yeah, should have kept her in her place. McDree, McDree, <laughs> McGee tries to get her to stop, as does Lord Grantham, but she will not be told and says that Mr. Mason has given his whole life to his farm. McGee says that she's sure Daisy doesn't mean to be rude, but Mr. Henderson, the new owner, says uh, that after this outburst, even if he does keep on some tenants, it definitely won't be that guy. Yeah. And John tries to intervene, but Mr. Henderson is not amused and tells Daisy she has not helped her cause. Mr. Mason leads Daisy away as McGee tries to say that Mr. Henderson will cool off, but everybody knows that he won't. Yeah. Uh, you don't like purchase and gut an estate <laughs> because you're like a nice dude. Right. That's soft hearted towards servant girls that are uppity. The auction starts and John regrets selling things, but says that in 20 years, there won't be a house this size that is an institution. Yeah. 
and just man just the thing about that scene is just everybody is desperately trying to stop daisy they all see that she's making a huge mistake Mm -hmm. and they're all like ah no please and she's just just ignores it all boy for somebody who's gonna do so well on her exam (laughs) she sure is an idiot Andy walks into the kitchen, says that they're done for the day, asks Daisy how her day was, and Daisy says, uh, not good. Baxter is sure that it's not so bad and is wrong. Uh, she said, Daisy says that it was in front of the whole family, and Thomas says that could be awkward. And Patmar sarcastically thanks him for his contribution. Nobody sarcastically thanks Baxter enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's, she's doing the work of the guy who is sometimes in the room, <laughs> but is called a lady's maid. Yeah, no, that's true. Daisy says that if she's dismissed, it's her own fault, which is fair. Uh, and Patmore asks about Mr. Mason. Daisy says that all that he can do is try to find a new yeah, farm. Yeah, she no longer has a farm yeah. to fall back on. That's right. Ironico. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will, which will be tough at his age. Andy randomly announces that it seems a good life farming. Okay. He's from the big city. I get, He's I get. only recently learned what a farm is. <laughs> Thomas says that, oh, well, he'll have to show Andy around the country, but Patmore says that Andy can find his own way. He can find his own way. (laughs) (laughs) Then Carson walks in with Sarge, who announces that they found another witness to corroborate the confession, and it's finally fucking over, and I swear to God, it better be. If it's not over... I don't know what I'll do. Yeah. Like, the podcast might just be... Like, there's no trace of it ever existing anywhere on the internet, which I don't even have the technical expertise to pull off. Right. We need, like, Mr. Robot to do mm-hmm. that for us or something. Ugh, I don't like his eyes. <laughs> Let's find Mrs. Robot. Sometimes she makes... <laughs> so, yeah. Point being, it had better be over. Uh, Carson thanks Molesley and Baxter for helping them in some way last year that I can't be bothered to remember. <laughs> Uh, and Mosley says that Oh, they were, wait. They were, like, found a picture and then figured something else no, about Ireland. Right, they went and they Or no, he went to all the bars. alibi. Yeah, that's what and it was. And then also, just they knew about prison or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, because, like, didn't she, like, get called in as, like, a character witness or something weird? I think you're thinking of something that's coming up. No, I mean, like, she went in to go talk to that sergeant, like about the Bateses. They were like, you know something. Right. And she was like, I do, but for crazy reasons. (laughs) Much like why I wouldn't tell anybody about that jewelry I stole. (laughs) Not going to say anything. Yeah. Uh, Mosley says justice has triumphed, which I suppose it's true. But at what cost? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Upstairs, Lord Grantham says they must go down at once because after today's display of <laughs> interclass relations, that's naturally what you'd do. Yeah. Um, and give the staff a drink and Carson suge- suggests some verve clicquot. <laughs> verve clicquot. Some fancy wine. Mary asks if this can really be the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As our, you can see Michelle Dockery visibly strained trying to drag this plot arc over the finish line. Like, honestly, like, do you think they all go to the pub, <laughs> you know, like after work and just are like the bloody murder prison? <laughs> and they're just all like, oh, Brendan, this is terrible. Oh, Joanna, like at least you got an Emmy, but Jesus. <laughs> yep. Downstairs, Lord Grantham toasts British justice, which, okay. 
There have been three separate <laughs> miscarriages of British justice on this show alone up to this point. Yeah. You got Bates put into prison. <laughs> like, it is not good. The I, justice system as portrayed by Downton Abbey is not good. Yeah. Mary sends Andy and Daisy to fetch the gramophone, uh, which they never seem to use anymore since Rose left. Yeah. Mary says that specifically. Uh, oh. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. That's, that's, she's like, we never seem to use that since Rose left. And I'm like, okay, but you know, why not? Like, isn't music just as We're enjoyable? We're all a bunch of old fuddy daddies. <laughs> uh, the real murderer. <laughs> We're almost there, guys. Yeah. The real murderer sent a message to Anna that she's sorry for leaving her, it. Her, her. Yeah, like leaving Anna to take the blame. Yeah. For so long. But who will apologize to us? <laughs> Not anyone. <laughs> Nobody is going to apologize to us. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And Anna, what a, again, what a like clever and elegant solution to this mystery. Like, oh, turns out somebody else did it and confessed, but only after waiting a while for no reason. That's... That's uh, mystery solved. We all should have seen it coming. 27 tracks. <laughs> and that was the best one. <laughs> like in all the first 26, it was aliens. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anna forgives her, which is stupid. Why? Yeah. Like, she's helped continue to ruin your life. Yeah. Sarge says that the woman will serve time for manslaughter, but she won't hang, which doesn't make any sense. Well, it's because, you know, he was a rapist. And so... Okay, great. Whatever. You know what? They just want us to understand. You know what we're not going to talk about anymore? We're not going to talk about this. We're going to explain the next things that happen, and then we're (laughs) never going to talk about this unless Julian Fellows decides otherwise. Right. In which case, we're going with, you know, Project Apocalypse. (laughs) So Sarge apologizes... I don't know why. Yeah. He's just doing his job. <laughs> Lord Grantham says goodnight. Bate says they'll finally sleep well and he'll go to Thursk in the morning and start <laughs> planning. Thursk is for lovers. It is. Anna says not for a family, but ba- why are they even talking right. about this? Anyway, Bate says they're free and safe. Everybody's dancing. Patmore's dancing with Sarge. Yeah. That's cute. It is. That's maybe about she'll it. Uh, maybe she'll get her own tree. Maybe so. Uh, Lord Grantham has wandered off into the kitchen. McGee asks what he's doing. He asks if the refrigerator is the refrigerator, and it, it is. Is your refrigerator a refrigerator? <laughs> McGee says that Patmore hates it, and Lord Grantham says, of course she Still? does. Still? Like, come on. I, I know. It's I been think, a while. I think she hated it at the time, and McGee has uh, just assumed that that, yeah. I don't ever update my opinions <laughs> about people, if I can help it. <laughs> Uh, Lord Grantham pulls out a plate and says it takes him back, and he asks if he's ever told McGee about the cook when he was a boy, and McGee says, many times. <laughs> <laughs> Which is almost self-aware for yeah. this show. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the cook used to let Lord Grantham hide down there and kept biscuits and sweets for him, and Rosamond was super jealous about it. Well, I mean, if the cook is clearly favoring one child over the other, I think Rosamond is well within her rights. Yeah, I Like, agree. she owns that cook. Yeah. <laughs> She's the boss of the cook. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, no, re- I, one thing about Rosamond is I really feel like her story, like her character's backstory has like always like, it's been filled in and made sense. Like, I don't know, just her relationships no, and why and she like is how she actually, is. Actually, there's a really good story there. Yeah. We yeah. just haven't gotten most of it. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Oh, Marmaduke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, my Marmaduke was a great ding. <laughs> Yes. 
I, Carson walks in and McG apologizes for, you know, trespassing in the kitchen. And Carson says that's fine, but he wanted a private word about Daisy's behavior. He says it's a dismissible offense. Lord Grantham says that's a bit harsh on the day of Bates's good news, which is a relevant thing. To have say. you even talked to Bates in the last two seasons, Lord <laughs> Grantham? Because I don't think you have. That's a good point. Because he's been in murder prison. And the boot room, like exclusively. <laughs> 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 From the pilot to the pool room. <laughs> McGee is sure that Daisy regrets her actions. Carson says that he's sure Guy Fox regretted trying to blow up Parliament. I don't think he did. Yeah, that's. A I good... mean, not much anyway. Yeah, he, he regretted getting caught. Yeah. Um, and that he didn't successfully <laughs> blow right. up Parliament. Yeah, that's what I would regret. No. It's like, well, if I'm going to get killed anyway. Yeah, all that gunpowder for nothing. I meant to blow up Parliament. <laughs> Guys, we totally spaced the blowing of Parliament. <laughs> anyway, McGee asks Carson to just tick Daisy off and make sure there's no repetition. She knows that he can do that. Carson says very well and heads out. McGee asks if Lord Grantham has considered where the Carsons will live, and Lord Grantham says no. He absolutely has not. <laughs> not as Julian Fellows, thank you very much. Yeah. He also asks if they will call her Mrs. Carson. Uh, McGee says they have higher mountains to climb. Do they? Uh, like, everything seems fine. Yeah. No, they all really. keep acting like there's this, like, you know, axe hanging over them, and it's like, didn't you guys? Like, the pigs are fine. Yeah. Like, you have money now, and Lord Grantham, anytime he reaches for the till, you slap his hand, <laughs> yeah. and you say, bad, Earl, bad. He's like, oh, very well. Where's my cocktail? <laughs> Lord Grantham asks if McGee has decided about the hospital. He hopes that she will support the Dowager, or better yet, stay out of it entirely. But McGee says it is too important to stay out of, and the Dowager is wrong. Lord Grantham says that adds up to a trying spring and summer ahead, because this is a decision that will take months. Uh, and they head up past Daisy being summoned by Carson and Hughes. In the Carson cave, Carson supposes Daisy thought there'd be no repercussions for her outburst. Daisy says no and just wants to know how bad it will be. Carson says he hopes bad enough to make her feel foolish and immature. And Daisy says she feels those things already, which of course she does. That is who she is. <laughs> yeah. Hughes says not enough to lose her place. And Carson says it was up, to, if it was up to him, it might not be true. But she better get back to the party before he changes his mind. So she heads back and dances with Andy, who is in the room. Right. Also. <laughs> Carson-, <laughs> Carson asks Hughes if they should join the others. But Hughes says, first, she knows she's been putting him off. And Carson says that he thought it better to be honest. And Hughes agrees with him on that. Carson says that if she's had second thoughts, well, they'll tell a few people in the morning and let the word spread. It'll be a bit of a nine days wonder, but, you know, it'll pass. Abby Hughes says that he misunderstands her. She was afraid that she would be a disappointment to him. But if he is sure, and Carson says that he has never been so sure. So Hughes says if he wants her, he can have her, warts and all, and they kiss. Guys, it's so cute. It's so cute. It's so cute. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Fingers crossed on murder prison, guys. Yeah. Like, don't let us down. Yeah. Ten. (laughs) All right. Yeah. This brings us to... The Abbey Awards! Woo! Hooray! It's been so long. It has been so long. We had a hard time remembering what they were. <laughs> yeah. So we think we've got them all. Right. <laughs> like Pokemon. <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll lead off with Worst Decision, which goes to... Danker! Danker! Of course! Danker yeah. gonna dank. Yeah. Uh, just for her usual maladroit uh, <laughs> actions. Yes. She's- and... No, she was specifically told by her employer... Yeah. ...not to spread this rumor... And then did... She made a special trip for no other purpose than to spread the rumor. (laughs) 
so bad move, Danker. Yeah. Next up, we have the best evasion. Mrs. Hughes! Yeah. Completely avoiding talking about her vagina with Carson. That's right. Until the very end. Yeah. But, like, she didn't have to deal with the awkward part. Even then, all the discussion had taken place so they could both pretend that they weren't talking about it. Yes, like, yeah, exactly. She, so, she... well done, Mrs. Hughes. You're an inspiration to all of us <laughs> evaders out there. <laughs> and worst overbite this episode goes to... Mr. Henderson. The new owner of Mallerton. Yes. Uh, you know, he's got a point, but nonetheless, he, because nobody was being overbitey this episode, yeah, like, to a fault. Yeah, they were all singing Kumbaya. Yeah, and the only other real jerk was, you know, a middle-class jerk. Yeah, and I'm tired of, like, letting them have all the overbites. <laughs> yeah. Like, R.I.P. homely liberal. <laughs> Next up, we have the Gibson Girl Award. Oh, Edith. Yeah. I remember when we first watched this in mm-hmm. September. Mm-hmm. I called it then. I was yeah. like, Edith is on point this whole episode. Yeah. So she was the clear winner, but it should be noted that... Everybody looked really good. Yeah. Edith was just head and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah. There's a lot of great stuff in this episode. Uh, next up, we have the Fashion Backwards Award for Backwards Fashion, a.k.a. The Backy. Uh, and that is Mary. I think we pretty much tipped both of these we awards. We did tip in both our, of in our, these. But yeah. Uh, it's been a while. We're yeah. rusty. Primarily for that headband. Like, that was the worst. It, the, it was the headband and the hair. Like, yeah. And also, anytime she wears a beaded black jet thing, I don't like it. I feel like she feels like she should always be wearing that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. I just... I, yeah. And also, I was not impressed with her pajamas. Yeah, I wasn't uh, either. I was like, get your shit together. You're yeah. a widow. <laughs> Next, we have the award for cutest baby. Which we're going to give to George. Yes. Both for licking the bowl and riding piggyback on Thomas. Yeah. Uh, very cute. It was very cute. Uh, not too much baby action in this episode. It was pretty much just at the beginning and then like a brief shot of them yeah. entering the library. But George won. So pretty standard. <laughs> yeah. And finally, the Maggie Smith scale of Maggie Smith. That's right. On a scale of one to five, how did we do? We believe that she gave a four Maggie Smith's effort today. Yeah, there were a couple of things that didn't land in the hospital subplot, yeah. but uh, she pranked the dank. She did prank the dank. That was awesome. her line about the moral high ground was so good, it was like two points yeah. alone. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, four Maggie Smith's. Yeah, very solid start. A little room for improvement, but yeah. uh, let's see how we go. Yeah. All right. Well, that has been Downton Abbey Season 6. Episode one. That's right. And until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs. Luncheon out. Luncheon out.